Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, balcony. Okay, I'm just, I never look up there, so I am right now, just so you know, I, I see you today. Okay. Um, if you haven't, uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Leighton, and I have the privilege of serving on staff as the lead pastor, and also I have the privilege of opening God's Word this morning as we work our way through a sermon series. Uh, we are in the midst of a, of a book called First Timothy, and uh, our series is called How Stuff Works. And this morning we're going to be looking at the first half of chapter 3, which speaks to God's design for spiritual leadership. And I think the timing for us on this is fantastic. Uh, as Pastor Cal mentioned, we're going through a succession planning process, and so who we are and who we hire next is really important to us, so we should talk about spiritual leadership. So let me pray, and then, then we'll dig in today. So Father, again, we, we come to you as the God who reveals, meaning that you reveal the truth about us, and you reveal the truth about you, and you open our eyes to the truth about your word, which is living and active. And so uh, you know the things we need to hear today. You know the things that we need to respond to and obey. And even so, God, uh, you're amazing. And so even though we have a sermon that's planned, uh, you have the ability to know the needs of the people here. And even in the quietness of this moment, would you whisper to them that you see them and that you are hearing and listening to them and you care about them. And so guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Pastor Kel mentioned that our, our next uh, Newcomer's Lunch is coming up on February 12th. I hope you attend that if you're newer to us. It's great to have um, that and to get to know us. We had our, our last one, I think it was just, just before Christmas, and I always ask a question at the Newcomer's Lunch. And, and the question I, I ask, is, the first question is, um, what, what originally drew you to Ebenezer? So why did you end up coming here? Sometimes it's because of friends or they, you know, they heard something or they liked the youth ministry. Um, and then my next question is, um, what's kept you here? Why are you here to learn about us as a church? And um, this year, I got responses differently than I normally do. In fact, it was quite overwhelming. And so uh, when I asked that question, um, the overwhelming response kind of centered around two things. The first one was, uh, we're here because there's biblical preaching here, which, which uh, the inference is, is that not all churches today are committed to preaching the Bible. Uh, the second thing was, we're here because we sense there's solid leadership here in this church. And again, the inference is, is, is that in some churches at least, uh, leadership seems to be in question. Now, of course, the, the challenge of solid leadership is, is not unique to a church setting. There is, a, across the board in all spectrums, certainly in North America, there is this there is this distrust of leadership everywhere, okay? And I, I know that. I know that uh, younger people, especially, there's a distrust of leadership along the way. And so uh, it just so happened in my inbox this week, I got an email from a guy named Thomas Rayner, and he was quoting uh, the latest Barna study on the ethics of, of people, of professions. And so uh, the way it works here is the percentage you're going to see in the next one is that the higher percentage, those are people that, that, that have high value for the ethics of those people. Okay, so any nurses in the crowd here today? I know there's a few. I can, I can see a few. Just put up your hand. So we, we rise and we call you blessed because you're the, you're the most uh, desired people in terms of your ethics. Um, the next highest one is, is doctors. 
at 62%, which means that, that almost 40% of the people in North America don't trust their own doctors, which is interesting. As you keep on going down, police officers, uh, 50% uh, rating on, on them. Clergy, oh my goodness. Uh, Two-thirds of the people in North America don't trust people like me. That, that, is, that is alarming. Um, then journalists, you know, so three-quarters of the people don't trust the media nowadays. Does this start to sound familiar to us? Uh, then we keep on going down. This was taken in the States, but look at number 16. Members of commerce, uh, Congress or, or um, basically the government. 90% of people don't trust the government officials around. So um, I, I, th I think there's a little bit of a leadership uh, issue going on here. And I don't know if your profession appeared on that screen. I, I know that I'm extremely disappointed with where ours, my profession landed on this. And, uh, but I have to say, though, I'm, I'm not surprised at the ranking because um, there have been scandal after scandal within the church. And by the way, scandals aren't exclusive to churches either. They're exclusive to, uh, they're, they're part of every profession along the way. And so for the church, though, again, if you've been in part of the church culture, you'll recognize some of these, some of these things. But, you know, there's the re recent docu-series on Hillsong. And uh, Mars Hill used to be a mega church. And uh, now there's a, a series on a postmortem on them. And, and in both those situations, they're talking about these, these abusive, domineering, entitled behaviors that are well-documented amongst the leaders. Or even a, a well-known, uh, you know, conservative denomination, probably, I think, the largest denomination, evangelical denomination in North America, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, they've hit the news big time. They've, they've been just rocked by this sex scandal that is involving 700 100 of its pastors over 200 years, oh, sorry, over a 20-year period that has been kind of covered up along the way, and so it's really hitting the news in, in the States. And so, uh, you know, this is alarming to me. I don't know if it is to you. But, um, you know, the world in which we live, there's, there's something that's not right in the, in the area of leadership. And it seems like, um, like success is so important to us that, that we'll, we'll get success at all costs despite the substance of what's below. Or it seems like uh, charisma trumps, trumps character. Like, we'd rather find someone who is, you know, good-looking, can, can really rock skinny jeans up on stage or something like that, than, than, than someone that has, you know, some character, not that not having skinny jeans or not, it, is this, is this uh, something about your character, but that, I, I digress there. Uh, so, so what I'm saying, though, is as a result, uh, leaders, um, the perception is, and it's founded, are often self-serving, they act entitled, they are at times morally corrupt, they can be domineering, they can be manipulative, and they can be abusive in every sector. And it's especially hard to, to process that when it's within the church because this is not God's design for leadership. And that's why about 2,000 years ago, uh, God uh, guided Paul to write down in detail the character qualities required for all those who lead within a church. 
And uh, by the way, these character qualities can actually be kind of traced back to the time of Moses, another 2,000 years before that, where God sat down and helped Moses determine who should help lead the nation of Israel when they were in the desert, desert in the Exodus. And all that to say is that um, I want to contend to you that, that leadership actually matters. It's very, very important. And God knows how important leadership is. And he, he knows how much leadership matters. And God knows the blessings of, that good leadership brings to those under it. And he also knows the devastation and the negative impact bad leadership has on people. So, with that opening, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at the text. We're going to read it today. Now, again, I encourage you to open up your own Bibles, but if you don't have it here, I mean, you always have your, your, your phone or whatever you can look it up, but they're also on the screen behind me. And I want to read the entire Scripture today, and then we're going to kind of take a little bit of a detour and then come back and talk about it. Okay, so this is what it says. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, the words of Paul to his young apprentice, Timothy, who was pastor, elder, in the church in Ephesus. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate and self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of all of full respect. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He, may not, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. And those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And that's the reading of God's Word. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's uh, kind of two main positions that are being talked about here. One is... In the version I read, it's overseer, but it's also translated in some versions as elder. And then the other one is, is deacon. And so we're going to look at, at these two areas of leadership within the church. But again, before I do that, I, I want to just kind of pull back a bit and just, just acknowledge that there's a greater leadership in the church. And so the, the ultimate authority within not just the church big picture, but the local church, i.e. Ebenezer, the ultimate authority is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he's the chief shepherd. The Bible says that he's the chief cornerstone, that he's the head of the church and that he's the head of the body. And so Jesus uh, is the undisputed King of kings and Lord of lords. 
and he's the one that we all ultimately submit and serve. And so that means that the head of this church is, is not the lead pastor, it's not the staff team, it's not the church board, and nor is it the congregation. The ultimate head of this church is Jesus Christ. Then as we look at the book of Acts, we, we, we see something else, and we're going to pursue this just a bit this morning, but we're going to see that the engine of the church is actually the Holy Spirit, meaning that it's, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do ministry well and fruitfully. Uh, he's the ultimate uh, one that empowers us and makes us effective. It is not a charismatic leader. It is not a good strategic plan. It is not a visionary visionary leadership or talented staff. It is the Holy Spirit of God that actually empowers us to be effective in what we're doing. But as you're going to see this morning, uh, as the early church began to take shape, there, there became a need for um, qualified human leaders to, to, uh, to serve within the church. And the church in the first century, the, the growth became very fast and rapid. And so with growth always comes complexity. And with complexity comes challenge. And with, and with challenge uh, is a need for change. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to you this morning as we begin that, that the leadership positions within the church began to emerge in the first century as it began to grow. And elders and deacons uh, were entrusted to lead and steward the church on earth. Now, we're going to look a bit at the backstory of this, and I, and I want to just give you a quick tour through the book of Acts at some, high, at some snapshots of things there, just to give you some context. And as I'm doing this, I, I want you to, to notice, like, what's happening at a leadership level. And then we'll bring that back into the passage we're going to look at this morning. So, um, as you know, the church was birthed by Jesus Christ in the first century. And he began his public ministry by calling t together 12 men to follow him and to become his disciples. And, and over three years, he, he poured himself into those disciples. He taught them his ways. He modeled for them his character, and he, and he talk, talked about and showed them and empowered them for his ministry. And at the end of his time, uh, just he was died, resurrected, just before he ascended, uh, the church at that time had grown to 120 people. And so we get to the book of Acts now, and, and Jesus had instructed these 120 people to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit, the Helper, came upon them in a new way with a new power that would now fuel the church moving forward. And so in Acts 2, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon the people in a supernatural way, and immediately they became these powerful witnesses, as Jesus said they would be. And they began to witness to the world around them, and people saw that. And that's where things started getting really crazy. Within one day, the church moved from 120 people to 3,000 people in one day. Acts chapter 4. I'm not certain of the timeline here. All I know is it was short. Might have been days, might have been weeks, but it wasn't much longer than that. Within, within a very short period of time, that church of 120 that turned to 3,000 3, now became a church of 5,000 men which means that you could almost double that when you included the women and the children that were there as well. And so this rapid growth happened. It was numerical. It was, it was, there was different ethnicities. And with that rapid growth came complexity. 
And with that complexity came challenge. And that brings us to kind of a pivotal moment in the life of the church, which is, which is in Acts chapter 6. And here it says that a dispute arose amongst this growing, vibrant church uh, that had the potential to derail the apostles from the ministry that they were going to be part of. And it says that um, as the church is increasing, a dispute arose between the Hellenistic Jews, or the, the Greek-speaking Jews, and uh, against the Hebraic Jews, or the, the Jews that spoke Hebrew, about women and being fairly distributed with the food and so on. And so this could have derailed the disciples, but instead what they did is they gathered together and they, they, they looked at the situation and they, they said to themselves, like, if we respond to this right now and plug this hole, it's going to be just another hole to plug. And it's going to pull us away from our main task. And their main task was, it says in Acts 6, to, to spend time in the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word. And so what they did is they, they appointed uh, seven people who we would refer to as the first deacons, and they, they got them to now distribute the food to the people around them. And this proposal pleased the people around them, and as a result, the Word of God continued to spread. And so we see that division of responsibility happening between the apostles or the elders. I'm gonna, they're going to emerge in a second here. And a new group of people called the deacons who were there to serve the people and to serve the ministries around them. Okay, then in Acts 11, we, we learn more about this growing role, role of the elders. And in this situation, um, Peter comes, uh, Peter's out sharing his faith, and, and lots of non-Jews come to faith, and the Jewish people don't like this. And so um, when he comes back and reports to the elders and the apostles, they heard what they, they had said, and they actually provided a spiritual protection and covering from the criticism of others over Peter. And they, they shifted by, by their influence over the crowd. They said, what you're th saying, I understand it's cultural, I understand you have a problem with it, but it's not right. We need to smarten up and get in line with the Spirit of God and what he's doing. And the people fell in line. In Acts chapter 13, we see another layer of this leadership. They now had a layer of, of listening to God's voice trying to discern what he was saying and then acting on it by sending out people. And in Acts 13 is a story where the church got together to worship and to pray. And during that worship time and prayer time, they had the sense that they should set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I called them. And they actually launched, those were the first missionaries sent out, they, la they launched the missionary movement, movement because the elders were listening and praying and discerning and then acting on what God was telling them. Acts chapter 14 we see this model of leadership as churches happen. So their, their, their way of doing things is they go to a center. They would begin a church. They'd get it established. Before they left, they'd appoint elders, plural, to look after the church and be its spiritual protection and teachers inside of it. And that was the model throughout all the book of Acts. Ephesus, plant a church, leave elders. You know, Corinth, plant a church, Point elders and leave them. That's the model that's happening there. So we see some structures forming inside the church based on the model of the prophets and elders. And then even in Acts chapter 15, which is another uh, kind of key moment, again, what happened is there was another dispute that arose, and, and it, was, it was a sharp dispute it talks about between Paul and Barnabas and, and some of the, the uh, Jewish people. And what the Jewish believers were saying about the non-Jewish converts 
they said, unless you're circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're basically calling them out and saying, like, like your salvation is, is uh, you know, 75% God's grace, 25% works. And uh, this question was, was a problem. And so they brought it to the elders and the apostles. They laid it at their feet. And so now the elders became these theologians who had to form this council to figure out, okay, so what do we do with this? This is an issue in a growing church. How do we respond to what's happening around us? And so it turns out what they did is they, they kind of brought people together and says, okay, here's the bottom line. We want you to, to comply to four things. And those four things are abstain eating food offered to idols, uh, abstain from drinking blood, abstain from meat of strangled animals, and abstain from sexual immorality. And if you do that, you're good to go. Okay, so that's what was happening in here. So we, we have this, the, the, these elders really forming some significant pieces inside the, the, the emerging church. Acts chapter 20, this is kind of a, what I would say is a great job description of the, of, the, of the elder back in that time. And so, again, the context here is that uh, Paul uh, called the elders from the church of Ephesus, again, the church that Timothy is at and Paul's writing to, pulled them aside and he said to them, guys, listen, um, there's some hard times coming for us in terms of the church. He says, keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Paul speaking here, savage wolves will come in and they will not spare the flock. Even from among your numbers, they'll rise up and they'll distort the truth in order to draw people away from, uh, disciples away after them, so be on your guard. So now you see what Paul is doing is he's saying to the elders, your role is to be a shepherd, uh, an under-shepherd under God, to, to protect your flock and protect them from danger. And so that's kind of the, the backstory to what we're going to see in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So the, the question I, I want to answer um, in a more succinct way now is, what are elders... What are deacons, and how do they function within the life of the church? Okay, and so remember this again. Uh, who's the ultimate authority? It's Jesus, okay? Who's, who's the, the, the engine that fuels the church? It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, then, then we have elders who are stewards of God's church. In other words, they're entrusted to shepherd, protect, pray, feed, and lead the local church. And then deacons who are servants of the church that are gifted and empowered to serve the body. Okay, so let's look at the first section, which is the elder. I want to give you a working definition again. Elders are biblically qualified men, and I'm going to qualify that because you're going to say, hey, that's not what you said last week, so let me just give me, give me some, a break here. Biblically qualified men who are appointed to the sacred duty of providing leadership, oversight, and shepherding for the church. And again, the terms used there are elder, overseer, uh, sometimes pastor, sometimes shepherd. And, and they're pastors who shepherd the flock. That's what an elder is. And in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, Paul even says uh, that <clears throat> whoever aspires to be an elder aspires to a noble task. In other words, that, that uh, we want you, men, and I'll include women in this. We want you to, to, to desire the role of elder or to set your heart on this role even though you're not all going to 
achieve that. So then what happens is in the next uh, six verses or so, Paul lays out these, these biblical qualifications for what, who an elder is. And they're going to fall into kind of two general categories. The first category is, is quality characteristics or, um, you know, what's, what is the inner person like? What are the inner qualities that we should be looking for in a leader of the church? And the second is uh, some functional qualities, refers to what they need to be able to execute their duties uh, properly. And so we're going to look at those things in particular. Now, I am going to take some time uh, to walk through these, but I'll do them very, very quickly so you, we, we get a sense of these characteristics. There's 21 listed here in this passage. And then we're going to add, this is just for the elders, and then we're going to add, tack on some uh, from, from uh, Titus, which is also Paul's letter. And he adds, I think, four or five more in there. So in the end, we're going to have 23 qualifications for those who are called to be an elder. Okay, here's how it starts off. They should be above reproach. And that means that, that they should model integrity. They should be people that have a blameless reputation. There should be no flaw in their conduct that would be grounds of any kinds of accusation. And if someone ever accuses someone of something, their lives should be so pure and holy that, that those accusations go absolutely nowhere, above reproach. They should be faithful to his wife. And... Um, this is, it's unlikely that back then, even back then, there wasn't polygamy like there was in the Old Testament. So this is really, I think, talking about that you are, are fully committed to and faithful to, to your wife. That you're a one-woman man with your thoughts and attitudes in every way. You honor your wife. By the way, this does not mean that if you're not married, you can't become an elder, or if your spouse passed away and you're single, you can't become an elder. Uh, but it's just saying, if you're married... You need to honor your wife. Temperate, meaning even-tempered, clear-headed, and calm under pressure. Self-controlled, meaning reasonable, uh, possessing sound and balanced judgment, being, being clear-minded. Respectable, meaning requires that an elder be of good behavior, leading an orderly and well-balanced life. Hospitable, so that the person would, would open their heart, and their home to others. Just a side note here. Uh, again, Pastor Kel mentioned that there's an outreach event happening with our Arab church. Um, I was there last night. In fact, I got invited over to Shadi's place. My wife and I did for, for a, a lunch uh, yesterday afternoon. Oh my goodness, I've never seen so much food in my life. Like, it, was, it was amazing. And we literally took 10 pounds of food home with us at the end. Like That's hospitality. And in the Middle Eastern culture, like that is... It is a big deal, uh, you know, to be hospitable in these things. Uh, not given to drunkenness. So not under the influence uh, or controlled by a drinking habit. Not a hockey player. It says violent, but it's the same thing. Okay, <laughs> just some cultural interpretation here. So not letting your temper control you, not acting out in the flesh. But gentle. In other words, fair and kind and yielding and forbearing and patient and sensitive to the needs of those around you. Not quarrelsome, not to be inclined to, to fight and not abusive with your words, not displaying an argumentative personality. Now, we know people out there, right? Maybe, maybe you're one of them. You want to bet? No, I don't know. I'm not going to fight with you. Um, but, you know, there are people who think that their gift to the world is to, to be argumentative, that whatever you say, I'm going to say something opposite just to get you going. 
Okay, that's not the type of person that, that God's looking for here. Not a lover of money. In other words, you're not controlled by the pursuit of money or the amassing of material possessions. And back then, of course, you remember that the, the elders also managed the, the finances of the, of the church, and so they had to be people of integrity in this area. Uh, I'm going to skip some. I'm not, I'll come back to them because they fall under the different category, but not a recent convert. In other words, uh, they're looking for people who have a, have a spiritual track record that proves that they're mature in their faith. If you're too young in your faith, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know how you respond to things. A good reputation with outsiders. So in other words, it's not just so much what people think of you here, but what do they think about you in the business world or in the school world or in the athletic world? That ma matters to, to God. Um, and then again, in Titus, we see a few more. Not overbearing, meaning not too stubborn or not quick-tempered, not prone to outbursts of anger, so no road rage people. Uh, not pursuing dishonest gain, so you're not a crooked cheat, but you, and you don't go about acquiring things with improper methods. Uh, loves what is good. In other words, you value good things and, and good ways and good actions and good attitudes. Someone who's upright and just. In every situation, they, they desire to do what, what is pleasing to the Lord. And then holy and discipline. In other words, you lead a holy life that makes your relationship with Jesus Christ obvious to others. That, those are the inner qualities, and I think I, I have, th that was um, 18, or 18 of them or so, uh, 16 qualities there. That, that's a lot. All about the inner person. Uh, then next is the functional qualities. And they, here are things like manage your own family well. In other words, their skill in leading and providing for your family. Uh, children, obey him. Um, now, my wife and I talked about this beforehand, and we, we recognize that, you know what? Kids are kids, right? I, I can't, they're not my robots. I can't control what they do. But I, I think what this is saying is that while they're under your influence, while they're still at home, um, lead them and live your life in such a way that, that you win their respect even if they don't always agree with you, that you win their respect and that they will obey you because they love you and respect you. And then to discipline, because discipline still is a way that we help people grow. Able to teach. In other words, you have a knowledge of sound doctrine and your ability to, to share those things with other people. This is one that's not included in the list to the deacons. Holding firmly to the trustworthy message. In other words, holding fast to the faithful word of God to embrace the scriptures of God's uh, uh, to guide, guide you in life and to encourage other people with that. And so, so inside that, I, I have 23 qualities that are listed there. And that seems like to me like it's a, it's a pretty high bar for people. So my question to us is, is, why does Paul go through so many details about the type of person he wants to be an elder in the church? Why is that there? And I think that the key for us is actually found in verse 7, which says, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In other words, going back to that original survey that I talked about, so that um, the leaders in the local church who have these qualities won't become a statistic, so they won't feed into the leadership crisis that's in the world, so they won't hurt the reputation of the church or the name of God, and so they won't become disqualified to lead. And so those are some of the qualities there for the, for the elder. Now, before I leave this section, I, I want to make uh, three additional observations about elders. Okay, and here's the first one. Uh, 
elders seem to be men. Again, now Leighton, you didn't say that last week and now you're confusing us. So let me, let me qualify what I'm saying here because I actually did say this last week. Um, I said at one point I talked about the two different groups of people, the egalitarian and the complementarian. And I said I don't actually fall in either totally because an egalitarian theology or thinking it's not just that we're equal value before God. It means that we're the same. There's no difference, right? I don't believe that there's no difference between men and women. I don't believe that's what God teaches because if there's no difference, then gender doesn't even matter, right? So, so um, there is a difference between who we are. In the other area of, of complementarian, it, it's that there is an order. There still is a created order, order that we can't deny. And so we see that in the creation story. We see that as God talks about the family and he, and he says that, you know, husbands, you're the one who is responsible for your family. And we understand that. It doesn't mean we have to do everything, but ultimately God's going to hold us accountable. And I think likewise in the church, God is saying, men, I'm putting you as the ones that are responsible in the area of covering and protection and direction for the church. And so I have no problem with women in leadership. I have no problem with women being called pastors. But it seems here that there's, there's some order to it that we have to reconcile in, in some way. And the other thing, though, I, I want to mention is that, that in leadership, uh, there is, God is saying here, it's not that I'm just giving you authority, because that sounds really quite nice. When I became lead pastor here, we had a different structure before I came, became lead pastor. And when I became lead pastor, uh, the board um, gave me more authority to do things. That's, it's kind of like a, a bull I could swim in. As long as I was swimming without jumping out the edges, I was okay. But, but I, had I didn't have to go to the board every time there was a decision. I could, if it was within my realm, I could make the decision. I had more authority. And for some people, that was scary. Why would we give the pastor more authority than he can abuse that? I also had more responsibility. I was given more things I, I was responsible for that I had to do. And you can't have responsibility without authority. Those things don't work together. And, but what happened, though, is the board also held me at a higher level of accountability. And when there's higher accountability, then responsibility and authority are, are tempered. They, can, they control each other. And so what the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, it, it says that, that um, we might be given higher responsibility and higher authority men, but God is going to hold us to a higher account in the end. So you have to be careful what you want. Sometimes it's easier to be the, the one in the bottom than the one in the top that's going to be held to account. Okay, here's a second thing, observation about elders. Uh, every time in the New Testament the word elder is mentioned, it's always plural, with the exception of when John is referring to himself. He's, he talks about him being the elder. Well, it's just singular there. But any time elders mentioned in the New Testament, it's always plural. Okay? So um, let me just comment on this. You know that um, Ebenezer, the leadership, is proposing a co-leadership model uh, in succession planning. That might be more biblical than we understand. Because what would happen is... That, Paul would go to a church and he'd appoint elders, meaning a plurality of elders, at least two, uh, to lead the church. And they work together to teach, protect, set course, discipline, all the things they did together. And so it, it's not without biblical precedence. 
Um, what you, I want to tell you a quick story about me when I first became lead pastor, before I did. Um, this is about 17, 18 years ago now. Before I even applied to be a lead pastor, the lead pastor of the church, applied for the position, I actually took out um, three people for coffee and had a conversation with them. And I'll give you their names. Not all of you will know them, but some of you will recognize them. One was Ron Wagner, who was the former pastor here. One was Rod Om, who was a missionary, long-standing missionary. And one was uh, Chet Ingram, who just kind of arrived on scene. And I, I said to them, I'm thinking of applying for this position, but I know I can't do it alone. I'm wondering, if I apply, would you consider, and I get, and I get accepted, would you consider being part of my team? So actually, before I, I even um, was voted on, I had a team in place you know, coming behind me if that happened. And why did I do that? It's because I knew my weaknesses. I knew my shortcomings. I knew that I couldn't do everything well. And so I wanted to bring people around me that would, that would help me out in the areas I was weak. And that's what, um, that's what a plurality of elders does. It, it balances out the weaknesses of others. It lightens the workload, and it provides a sense of accountability. You, you want to know a scary environment? You have a, a single leader who is accountable to no one and has lots of power. That is a recipe for disaster. You're much better off to have a plurality of leaders and mutual accountability to be able to work together. And so just notice that there is a, there's a plurality of elders. And the last thing I want to mention in this about elders is that although not every person will be appointed to an elder in the church, uh, I'm going to say we, I'm going to focus more on the men. We should strive to be an elder. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, guys, I'm going to speak to you specifically right here. You should look at this list of, in the Bible here, and you should say, I want to be that person. Single guys. Rather than checking out the girls this morning, deciding you know, who you might want to talk to afterwards, and, and you know, going to the gym and working out to, so you can flex and look really you know, good, you'd be better off to, to spend your time working on who you are. Because I guarantee that if you become this person, you will be attractive to the ladies around you. Because who wouldn't want to marry a guy that has all these qualities? Right? Women. Look for, a, look for an elder. <laughs> and I don't mean like an old guy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look for someone who is displaying these qualities. Raise the bar around you and say, this is the type of man I want to marry. So get on a guy and, and, and start doing some stuff around that. You know, it's been said, uh, women would understand this. The Proverbs 31 woman has all these qualities of, of this wonderful woman that can be very intimidating. But it's, it's been said that, that as Proverbs 31 is to women, so is 1 Timothy 3 to men. Okay? So, so aspire to this. Become an elder whether you're actually given the role or title in a church or not. Okay. Second and we're almost out of time. I'm going to be very quick on this, I promise. So the next one is, what is a deacon? Uh, what role do they play in the church? Well, simply put, deacons are boots-on-the-ground servants who help accomplish the mission and purpose of the local church by freeing up elders to do what they should be doing. And so deacons are concerned with the details of the ministry 
as they are played out in the lives of the people, and they find joy, and they find satisfaction, and they find worth in loving and serving the family of God. Now, I want you to notice, though, that, that even though I said these are boots-in-the-ground people, they are not lacking in biblical qualifications. And so if we were to look at these lists, I'm not going to do that at all right now, but if we were to take this list and, and now compare it, a lot of the qualities are the same qualities of the elder. There are some differences in what they have there, but I'm saying is that there's a whole list of qualities for, for, for the deacons too. God has a high bar for that around them as well. And so, so this is what it, it's saying, is that we need to be these people who, who are tested along the way. And that's deacons, and I'll come back to that in just a second. Then there's verse 11. It says, in the same way the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, and so on. Uh, so this passage, your Bible might say, and wives, referring to the deacons' wives. But the word used there can also be translated. In fact, a lot of scholars are saying it doesn't mean wives connected to the deacons. It means women. So this is why uh, churches that aren't okay with having uh, a woman as an elder are okay with having women as deacons who serve because they look at this passage and say, Paul seems to be addressing women, and he has qualifications for them as well. And so we have all these things around there about, about serving along the way. And so uh, I'll talk a little bit about the, the idea of serving just as I wrap up here. Let me conclude. And, and I want to give you, I want to give you uh, four kind of key takeaways from this morning. Here's the first takeaway. Uh, character matters most. It's primary. And so uh, when, when we choose a next leader or leaders here, someone should do a deep dive into who they are. Right? Someone should ask some tough questions to make sure that, that what they're displaying on the outside is true of what's happening on the inside. Because if we don't do that, we might find someone who might look good on the outside might even be better looking than I am. Uh, that hurts when you laugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they might, they might look better, look good on the outside, but what matters is what's happening on the inside. And as those of us who lead, pick people to lead ministry areas, no matter what it is, we should be doing a deep dive on the inside. We should be saying, who are these people? Because the, 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 the area of deacon is to serve, which means that if you serve in children's ministry, you're like, kind of like in that deacon category. Or you serve coffee. Or you, this is deacon category, and, and there's qualifications for you. Who we are matters in these things. And so what Paul is saying here is that the character matters most, period. Second, Competency still matters, but it's not primary. It's not first. You see, there are still skills needed to carry out a job. And so we, we want to look for people that are able to do what we want them to do. But don't get so focused on the people's giftings that, that, it, that we miss out on who they are. Competencies still matter, and they're, and they're still primary, but, but they're not as important as the character. Character first, competencies later. When I hire people at the church here, I think I've shared this before, uh, most people, their first list when they hire people is, what is your skill set? What's your, what's your competencies? And for me, my number one thing is always character. 
because I can teach competencies, but, but, to, but to repair a broken character, that's hard work to do, right? So as we move forward and in your ministry areas, choose character over competencies, but just competencies, competencies don't matter. Okay, uh, next, um, structure matters, but it can change, okay? So in the New Testament church, elders were something that always were part of it. Deacons were something that were new. So what about Ebenezer? Um, we do not have a formal group of elders. I've been at the church now for 35 years uh, on staff, another two as a CNC attender before that. So 37 years, I have some history here. And to my knowledge, there has not been a formal elders group here. And uh, there might have been before, but I'm not aware of that. When I became lead pastor 18 years ago, the, the, there was a shift in what we did, and we moved away from a deacon's board, and we just call it the board. That's all. So you're not elders, you're not deacons, you, you serve a role as a, as a function along the way. And so how many people come from a, a more liturgical background? So you may be Catholic or Presbyterian or Lutheran. Any people like that? Okay, so you, in your churches, you actually use terms like bishop, um, elder, deacon. You use those terms a lot more than, than we do here. Okay? Uh, I, I personally prefer the term most high reverend one. Uh, <laughs> or pope for short. But... It, uh, like, I'm not sure, like, we don't use those terms, and, and maybe we should use them more often, but the office of what I'm talking about is important. So um, we have a board who plays an organizational role, who plays a spiritual role. Not all the board members are considered elders in a biblical sense, uh, but they're godly people who love the Lord and are seeking after Him. We also have a staff team who love the Lord and are seeking after Him, and, and some of the staff would, would play more of an elder role. In fact, if you want to say, like, where does the spiritual leadership of our church lie then? Where does the spiritual authority lie? If there's no elders and, and the board is not like an, an elders, board, elders board. I think in a very practical sense, in churches today, including ours, the, 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 the authority, and when I say authority, I mean the people who, who care and are covering and protecting and discerning and guiding and, and looking at the dangers around us, th those, are, those are really uh, some key staff people. And we have a lead team here. And so um, prior to Pastor Kelly leaving us, there was myself, Kelly, Chet, and Kel that were on that lead team. Pastor Kelly, by the way, just became a grandpa this week. That was kind of cool. Um, and then now we have myself, Chet, Kel, added Wes, and added Pastor Grace. And, and together we meet and we talk about things that matter to the church. We're, we're trying to discern together. And so in a practical way, we're functioning in this elder group. Now, if you have a problem with that, you can, again, email me at kel at ebenezerbaptist.ca, and I'd be happy to answer your questions on that. Okay, let me get to the very last one here then. So character matters, competency still matters, Structures matter, but they can change. Last one is submission matters. And I know that in general, we distrust leadership, right? We don't want to submit to anyone, let alone, you know, a, a pastor up front. Here's what the Bible says. 
that, that we all submit to one who is the highest authority in our lives, which is Jesus Christ. And one day, we will all be before the throne, and we will all be submitting to him who is the Lord and King. On earth, he says, we submit one to another. So we're all submitters. I submit to you, you submit to me along the way. But there's still an order in what's happening, and the order is, is that husbands or wives submit to your husbands, as husbands submit to the Lord. And there's submission happening in the church. So when we come together, we, we submit to one another, and we listen to the, the leaders and elders, not because they get everything right all the time, because we don't but because there's an order, we want to honor God's order, knowing that if they're seeking after the Lord like they should, we will hear from the Lord properly. And also that, that um, if they're in error, the Lord has the ability to judge us because he's going to hold us to higher account. And if we are a church, we refuse to submit to one another. That's the recipe for disunity. That's the recipe for individualism. That's not a family. That's not a community. That's not a body. But when we submit to one another and we appreciate and value the leadership and the godly leadership that God has brought in place, we can move together. And I want to say that it's not easy to be a leader in any sector. You think it's easy to be a leader? It is, it is not. And it has not been easy over the last few years, right? But we're trying to move forward together as a family and we're trying to listen to God. And this is how God put in place. He gave us elders to lead and protect deacons to come along and serve, all of us to love each other as the family of God. Amen? Amen.